One who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities in this world never takes birth again, but attains my eternal abode. Of course, the Lord comes to this world to attract everyone's heart. According to our particular type of attachments and according to our consciousness, the Lord appears in such a way to draw, draw our attention toward Him. And this is the beauty of civilization, where people come together for this purpose alone. Of course, during the day we have our business, we have our work. But what do we do with our free time? That is the difference between a civilized society and an uncivilized society. Civilized means that we live for the purpose of helping one another in God consciousness. Uncivilized means we live like the animals. We come together socially for the purpose of encouraging one another to satisfy our senses. Eating, drinking, mating, defending. Family life without God consciousness is animal life. After all, the dogs have their families, they protect, they bring food. The birds have their families, they protect, they bring food, they build their homes. The snake in the ground does the same thing. This is not civilization. It is animal civilization, it is not human civilization. When our friendship is based on simply satisfying the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, when we go to listen to music together, when we go to, to see the cinema together, when we go to eat some food together, this is called animal civilization. Atato Brahma Jigyasa. Human life begins when we make God the purpose of our interactions with others. Human civilization is when God is in the center of our activities. And this great land of India, in all history throughout the world, has been known 
for its very, very highly developed human civilization. People do not come to India so much for any other reason except to understand God. Indians go to Africa, Australia, the Gulf, Europe, America for money, for economic development which increases their animal conditions of life, increases their power to enjoy their senses, which is animal life. People come to India not for these reasons, very rare. People come to India because they want to study the science of God. They come to try to understand the truth. One of the greatest books on world religion was written by a Chinese scholar. And therein it is considered one of the most authoritative books in modern history on all religions. Very comprehensive. And in the introduction he says, if you want to truly know what is religion, you must live in India for some time. Otherwise you will never really know. And even atheists, they are under this conclusion. There was one great communist um, politician who came from the Soviet Union and he absolutely condemned the conception of God from his very birth according to his conditioning. But after spending some years in India, he said, I've never seen any place so chaotic and disorganized in my life. The fact that India can go on day after day after day to me is substantial irrefutable evidence that there must be a God. This is the motherland of spirituality. And the great heritage of India has been preserved on the grassroots level by people coming together every evening to hear the glories of the Lord. Up until one or two decades back even, practically every village and even in cities, people would be very, very fond of coming together every evening to hear the glories of the Lord. Two days back we were in Belgaum. Vrindavan Maharaj took me to one temple of Vital Rukmini Devi. And he said, just 20 years back when he was a child, his father would bring him to that temple every evening. And hundreds of people would be there to hear Bhagavatam and have kirtan. We went there that, ex same, that exact same time, two days back, and there was nobody there. There was nobody even to speak. They've canceled it because no one's interested in it anymore. People are too busy working overtime or going to the cinemas or watching television. And we find that those people doing like this, they are not finding peace, they are not finding joy in their lives. They are simply becoming more and more attached, infatuated and disturbed. 
But there was a time not long back when people would come together after they would start the day by chanting the name of God. They would start the day by hearing the scripture, take prasad, go to work, afterward come home, bathe, take the whole family to wherever some sadhu was speaking and hear Bhagavad Kata or Mahabharat or Ramayan. And this was every day, seven days a week. And after hearing with an attentive and submissive heart the beautiful, all-attractive glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, they would take rest. They would go to their respective homes and naturally throughout the night they would simply dream about Krishna or Ram. And then they would wake up peacefully, chant his holy name, take some prasad, do their work, come together, have kirtan, hear the glories of the Lord, day after day after day, year after year after year. This was the day when there was no drug addiction, there was no divorce. There was actually love and trust amongst one another because God was in the center. But those days are gone because people have succumbed so much to passion and ignorance. They don't have time or maybe once a week on Sundays, sometimes. Nasta praishu bhadreshu nityam bhagavati sevaya bhagavati uttamashloke bhaktir bhavati naishtaki. That one who hears the glories of the Lord regularly, all inauspicious, all impurities, are cleansed from the heart, from within. This is the beauty and greatness of the land of Bharatvarsha. It is the place where people are, throughout history have had a spontaneous and natural desire to come together to chant the names and the glories of the Supreme Lord. This is human civilization. Human civilization does not mean big, building big, big skyscrapers. In one lecture, our Guru Dev was explaining that here in America we find that they are building these big, big, high skyscrapers. And then what do they do? After building it, they're so frustrated, they climb to the top, they jump down to commit suicide. It happens often. This is not human civilization. Human civilization means simple living, high thinking. Whether you have skyscrapers or do not have skyscrapers, what's done is done. But what are we doing with our life? What are we doing with our time? Yes, we must earn our living, maintain our family. But what is our priorities? What do we doing before and after the needful hours of employment? That is what determines animal civilization or human civilization. Because the glories and the pastimes of the Lord are pleasing to everyone's heart. They charm our heart. They pacify our anxieties. 
they purify our mind and they awaken the natural propensity for love within us. So since we are on this rare occasion gathered together to hear the glories of the Lord, I would like to very briefly summarize a beautiful um, aspect of the great literature, the Mahabharata. Of course, if we had three, four hours, I would give some details. But I will summarize. It's becoming a little late. But it is described in the this great classic by Srila Veda Vyas that there was a great king of the name Surasena. And he had a daughter of the name Prita. And this young girl was so benevolent and full of good qualities. She was the embodiment of all virtues. A very close friend who was another king of the province of Kandahar. I'm sorry, not Kandahar. His name was Kunti Bhoj. And this king had no children. So Surasena gave him his own daughter to raise. So Prita became known as Kunti. One day, the great sage Durvasa Muni came to the palace. Uh, and Kunti, she was a very young girl. It was her regular practice to greet all important guests with her natural loving qualities in order to please them in every way. In Vedic society, when a guest comes to one's home, we must make that person feel like he has come into his own home. It is described that the greatest benediction for a grihasta is when an unexpected guest comes to one's home. And in that condition, to open the doors, to offer a nice sitting place, to offer sweet, humble and courteous words of hospitality, to offer nice water, nice prasad, nice resting place. So if that person has any anxieties at all in his heart, he completely forgets them. And even if that person happens to be your worst enemy, you must treat him with such love that he forgets all animosity. This was the way of the Grihastas. And it still should be what to speak of when great sadhus come. And when they come unexpected, uninvited, 
that is considered the greatest benediction of God because you are given that special opportunity to render service and go out of your way. So when the great Durvas Muni came to the palace of King Kunti Bhoja, uh, our Kunti Devi, she, she fed him and she just gave him so much of her sweet loving hospitality. He was so pleased. She charmed his heart to such an extent that he gave her a benediction. He gave her a mantra and said, if you chant any demigod's name along with this mantra, that demigod will be obliged to appear before you. So of course she was young. She did not understand the seriousness of this benediction she had received. So one morning she was looking out of her palace window and the sun was rising and beautiful colors were spread throughout the sky. And she was so, ah, so much enjoying the pleasing rays of the sunrise. She was so much intoxicated by the beauty of the morning that in her own childish way she chanted the mantra with the name of the sun god. So within seconds, Suryadev appeared before her. He said, what benediction do you want? She said, I don't know what benediction. You have come, please accept my obeisances. Now, please, she was afraid. He was a big, powerful demigod. She was a little girl. Now you can go. Namaste. Mm. He said, yes. But I want to have a child from you. But how is this possible? I am just a little girl. I am not even married. What will people say? But of course, it is said that women must be protected at every stage of their life. Otherwise, they will be exploited. It is said in the Shastra, that a woman, when she is young, must always be protected by father. When she gets older, she must be protected by husband. And when the husband either leaves this world or takes to the sannyas order of life, she must be protected by the grown-up sons. But in every stage, if a woman is not protected, then she is prone to be victimized by manipulative men. And we see in this society, especially in the Western world, and it is growing in the East as well, that because women are not willing to accept this principle of protection, and because it is growing and growing, and because men are not properly willing to show actual qualities of protection, that there is growing murder in the form of divorce, abortion, there is divorce, there is prostitution, which leads to horrible diseases like AIDS, 
In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains that we should not fight these soldiers because if these soldiers are killed, there will be no one to protect their wives. And then they will be exploited by unscrupulous men. And then there will be unwanted progeny, children, who will not follow proper religious principles. And then the whole society will simply become decadent and glide down to hell. Now, of course, this is not exactly that case, but the principle is there. She was young, she was innocent. In logic, argument, and debate, she was nothing before the Lord of the Sun. So somehow or other he convinced her, Ah, you are unmarried. You are the most chaste of all women. I will have a child through you, and I will not in any way disturb your chastity or your virginity. She said, well, how is that possible? He said, you just watch. So within a very short time, within just minutes, a beautiful child came from her ear. And he was a wonderful, beautiful little baby. He had beautiful golden earrings and a beautiful golden chest plate. He was known as Karna because he was born from the ear of Kunti. But here she was with this little baby who was dazzling like the sun itself. And she was thinking, what am I going to do? What will happen to my father's reputation if they see that his daughter has had a child and she's just a young girl and she's not married without a husband? The whole reputation of my father, his kingdom, everything will be destroyed. She was not thinking of her own selfish name and fame, but she was thinking of protecting the ones she loved. So what she did, with tears of anguish in her eyes, although she loved this child like any mother would love its own son, she loved that child, it was more dear to her than the whole world. But in her confused and naive state, she put that child in a beautiful basket and floated him along the waves of the river Ganges. And she prayed to God, please protect him. And she prayed to God, please forgive me for what I have done. But I don't know anything else to do. And there's no one to consult. So that child was found by a charioteer who was brought to his wife whose name was Radha. Therefore he was given the name Radheya. And of course it is a long story of the great injustices that came upon him throughout his life. Although he was a Kshatriya by birth, 
He was given the emblem of a Sutaputra, a low-born chariot driver, son. And therefore, although he had the most gallant and chivalrous propensities, no one would ever give him a chance to exercise them or to appreciate him. He learned the arts of fighting from great souls like Parasuram. He became the most powerful and heroic Kshatri in all the earth. Years went by. It is described that after Dronacharya trained the Pandavas and the Kurus, they built a big, huge assembly house. And this was to have a wonderful tournament, to demonstrate the qualities, the arts, and the skills in um, the use of weapons that the students of Drona had learned. And everyone knew that no one could compete with Arjuna. So everyone, after they displayed their abilities, Arjuna came and he started to display skills that no one had ever seen before. And everyone unanimously accepted Arjuna is the greatest of the great. But then, all of a sudden, from a distance, arrows started coming from a place no one knew. Ah. And what those arrows were doing was completely belittling all of the skills of Arjuna. And Arjuna became very angry. Everyone knew whoever this was was going to be the lifelong enemies with Arjuna. And then Radheya came onto the stage. And Kunti when she saw that man with the golden kundala and kavacha, she understood, this is my son. And she fell unconscious. No one knew who this person was, but Vidura was very clever. He could understand that this must be the son of Kunti. Otherwise, why isn't she, why she is so shocked upon seeing him that she fainted? At that time, Radheya challenged Arjuna. And Bhima, who saw that Arjuna was going to be defeated, he immediately got up and asked, who is your parents? And being a noble and honorable Kshatri, he would never lie. They said, you are not qualified, you are not a Kshatriya. You cannot challenge such a high-grade, high-class person as Arjun. You have no kingdom. So again, Radheya, who was disappointed at every step of his life due to his low birth, was in a helpless condition.
and then for the first time someone came forward to help him. It was Duryodhana. Because Duryodhana would take any opportunity to defy the prestige of the Pandavas. So he immediately coronated Radheya as the king of one of his own villages. Before Kunti's own eyes, she saw her eldest child and Arjuna, her third child. They had become bitter enemies. This was the greatest pain that she had to live with year after year after year. And as the enmity between the Pandavas and the Kurus increased year after year, Radheya became more and more antagonistic, deceitful and hateful toward his own brothers who he did not know. And then, after those many, many years in exile, it was time for the battle of Kurukshetra to be fought. Hmm. The Pandavas were willing to fight that battle because they knew with Arjuna on our side and with Krishna, his friend, the charioteer, Parathasarathy, we cannot be defeated. But there was one great anxiety in everyone's heart, that there was one person who could destroy Arjuna. There was one person better than him, and that is Radheya. Somehow or other, we must stop him. Arjuna was born of Kunti from the great Devata Indra. And Indra knew that his son would be slain unless he interceded. Radheya had made a vow from his childhood because he was the son of the sun god, although he did not know it. He was always naturally inclined to worshipping the sun. And every morning at the time of sunrise, he would do the puja to Viviswan. And he made a vow, anything anyone asks me at this time in charity, I will give them. And he never broke that vow throughout his life. So Indra made a plan, but Surya could understand the plan. So Surya disguised himself and came to Radheya and told him, tomorrow Indra will come to you in the guise of a Brahmin. At the time you are worshipping the sun, he is going to ask for that which will make you mortal and fallible if you give it away. Your kundala and kavacha, do not give it. 
under any circumstance. And Radheya said, my vow is that I must give what is asked of me, even if it means my death. You see, in Kali Yuga, we take vows very cheaply. What to speak of spiritual vows? This was simply a moral, ethical vow. But he was willing to die before he broke that vow. He was willing to give up all his prestige, his very life, before he would break that vow. a spiritual vow before the spiritual master, before the deity of Krishna, before the sacred fire, is hundreds of millions of times more grave than the vow made by Radheya. The integrity of our dignity in life is based on how we are willing to maintain our vows under all circumstances. In Krishna consciousness, at the time of initiation, we take the vow to have no illicit sex, no intoxication, no gambling, and no meat-eating. And we vow to chant the holy names of the Lord a prescribed number of times every day, minimum. To take that vow cheaply is to take God cheaply. Better you die. Better you give up your life. That is the dignity of a human being who is sincere about spiritual life. At the time of marriage, we take a vow. The man vows, I will protect this woman as long as I live. And the woman vows that I will assist my husband faithfully and be a chaste wife as long as I live. Till death do we part. There's absolutely no question of discord, divorce, or separation. It is a vow before God. But in these days, people do not take their vows so seriously. And that is the decay of the entire society. Spiritually, socially, everything. And that vow must be taken till death. If the man takes sannyas, that means death. Sannyas means social death. But until sannyas or death, social or physical death, there is no question of even considering breaking that sacred vow. So when Indra came, 
that next morning, he was doing his puja to Surya Dev. He was expecting a special guest. And when he finished doing his namaskars to the Lord of the Sun, Indra came with great humility as a beggar. Radheya said, ah, you have come to ask something of me? Whatever you ask, I will give you. Indra said, give me your kundala and kavacha. Now, Suryadev gave him that kundala and kavacha because he could not be killed. He was invincible. He could not be defeated as long as he was protected by it. But without that, he would become an ordinary man. Karna understood that the battle of Kurukshetra is about to begin. And Duryodhana is only waging this war based on his faith in me. And besides the Kundalan Kavacha, it was not just the types of earrings that women wear today. He was born with them. They were part of his body. So he drew his sword and with excruciating pain he had to cut them out of his ears and massive blood started flowing. And his chest plate, the kavacha, was, was non-different than his chest. He literally had to carve through his flesh with blood flowing with his own hands to remove it. And he handed it over to Indra. When Indra saw this, tears of appreciation flowed from his eyes. Never has he seen such honor. Never had he seen such glory in the name of truth. So he gave benediction to Radheya that your name and fame will forever be remembered as long as this universe exists. Your name and fame for being the most honorable man true to his word that has ever lived. So then of course we know that Lord Sri Krishna personally tried to make so many arrangements to stop this war. But Duryodhana, due to his deeply seated pride, was not able to listen to good reason, even from his own father, mother, grandfather, and well-wishers. When one is intoxicated by pride, one becomes blind. I will not give the Pandavas even enough land that you can put the head of a pin through. This was his vow. And therefore the date was set when this great battle would rage. 
Krishna knowing the nature of Kunti's heart was pained to see how she was suffering knowing that Radheya and Arjuna, her own two children, would face each other and one would kill the other. So Krishna approached Radheya and explained to him the truth of who he was. And Krishna told Radheya that you join the Pandavas you will be the king of the world. You do not join the Pandavas, you will die, along with your envious, sinful, and proud friend, Duryodhana. Ah, but Radheya refused. So then Kunti, one fine morning, she decided, I must reveal the truth to my son. She came to him while he was worshipping the sun god, Suryadev. And after offering his namaskar, with tears of love in her eyes, her face covered by a veil, She approached him. She said, I have come for a benediction. I know that you never fail to give benedictions at this time. He said, my dear lady, I do not know who you are, but what is your benediction? What do you ask? Anything I will give you. But first tell me, who are you? She began to speak in a voice that Radheya could recognize from years and years before. He said, my dear virtuous lady, when I was young, my greatest longing was to know my mother because I was an orphan. I never saw the face of my mother. And a woman used to come to me with a veil over her face, just like you are coming to me today. When I was sleeping, she would appear in my dreams. And she would weep tears. And those tears were so boiling hot that they would burn my chest. And she would cry and cry and cry. And before I could recognize who she was, she would go away. I always knew that this was my mother. I could understand that you must be my mother. And Kunti Devi, who was still covering her face with veil, she said, yes, I am your mother. 
And for all these years, my heart has been plagued with the greatest suffering, knowing the injustice I have done for you. Well, who are you, my dear mother? And then she lifted her veil. When she saw the face of Kunti, the mother of the Pandavas, his greatest enemies who he vowed to kill. His heart was besides itself in grief. And they embraced. And they embraced for a long time. Radheya, who always longed to know his mother, and Kunti, who always longed to embrace her first beloved son. It was the happiest moment of their life. Radheya found peace and satisfaction for the first time in his earthly birth. And for the first time Kunti felt the burning, raging fire of distress pacified within her heart. And then she explained that Karna you are fit to be the king of all the world. You are the eldest son of Pandu. If you accept fighting for the Pandavas, Maharaj Yudhisthira will find no greater pleasure in life than stepping aside and worshipping you as his elder brother, followed by all the others. So this is the benediction I am asking at this time. That you accept your true and natural role as the king of the Pandavas and you fight on the side of Yudhisthira. After all you know, Karna, that Krishna is on the side of the Pandavas and anyone against Krishna will die. Except she was begging and pleading. Radheya replied that what you are asking is impossible. It is true that I have made this vow that I will give whatever charity anyone asks at this time in the morning. But I am also made a vow to Duryodhana that I would never betray him. And although I know that if I do not betray him, I will die. 
Your sons will win this war. There is no question. Krishna is on their side. But you rejected me. Everyone in this world rejected me except Duryodhana. Although he is proud and envious, I cannot break my word. Let me die with the integrity of keeping my word. She pleaded. And Radheya was crying that now I love these five brothers of mine more than anyone on earth, and yet I will have to fight them. So she asked the benediction that you have the power to kill all five of them. At least grant me the benediction that you will not kill your own brothers. That would be too much for me to bear. And he said, I vow I will not kill Nakula. I will not kill Sahadev. I will not kill Bhima. I will not kill Yudhisthira. But I cannot vow that I will not kill Arjuna. So after speaking intimate words of loving exchange, they parted. Radheya did not want to fight that war. Bhishma always out of love, because Bhishma knew his real identity as well. Bhishma always mistreated him and criticized him for taking the side of Duryodhana. So when Bhishma was made commander-in-chief, Radheya said, I will not fight as long as he's commander-in-chief. And this way he got out of this war, because he did not want to face his brothers. But after Bhishma was put on the bed of arrows by his own free will, by Duryodhana's request, Radheya had to come into the battlefield. And for Yudhisthira, Bhima, Nakula, and Sahadev, during that war, he defeated all four of them, put his arrow to their head and was about to kill them. And they knew they were defeated, and they knew death was upon them. And for all four, just at the last moment, he removed his arrow and let them go free. They could not understand. Radheya is our worst enemy. He hates us more than anyone on earth besides Duryodhana. He is the counterpart of Dur Why did he spare our lives? It was a great mystery to all. And then when he was fighting Arjuna, Krishna knew that Arjuna, fair and square, could not defeat Radheya. So when his chariot was stuck in the mud, and he put down his weapons and went to pull his chariot out by grabbing onto the wheels. He was defenseless. Arjuna, as a respectful Chatriya, was waiting for him to come back out and fight, fair and, and according to the codes of battle. 
But Krishna told Arjuna, kill him now. Arjuna, what? Kill him now? Since when was Radheya or Duryodhana fair to you? When they put you in the house of lack, did they tell you when they were going to burn it down? When they fed your brother Bhishma poison, was that fair? Kill him now. So Arjuna took an arrow and severed the head of Radheya. It fell into the mud. And Yudhisthira was so relieved. Because throughout the battle, that was the only thing that caused real fear and grief in his heart. That Radheya may kill Arjuna. And there was grand celebration on the side of the Pandavas. And the Kurus, their hearts were broken. Some days later, the Kurus were destroyed by the mighty arms of the Pandavas. After the battle was over, it was time for the funeral ceremonies. And <clears throat> Yudhisthira and the Pandavas went to Hastinapur to bring Gandhari and Kunti, Jitarastra and all others back to perform the last rites of all of their relatives. And so Yudhisthira very, very carefully performed the last rites for all of those who were related to him. It was a very painful and difficult thing to do. But after he was over, he was ready to leave that battlefield and bring his family members with him. At that time, the guilt within the heart of Kunti became overwhelming and uncontrollable. She was thinking in her heart that I have cheated my firstborn child throughout his life by keeping this a secret. Now he is dead. He is dead because of his own honor. I must at least do one thing good for him in my life. Let him have his last funeral rites performed, because there is no one else to perform them. So she turned to Maharaj Yudhisthira and she said, There is one person you have forgotten. Yudhisthira Maharaj said, There is no one I have forgotten. I have very systematically performed the last rites for every one of our ancestors' relatives and family connections. She said, no, no, there is one you have forgotten. I beg to differ with you, mother. There is no one that I have forgotten. She said, let me take you to that one. The Pandavas were very curious. They could not figure out who she was talking about. So they walked through the carnage of dead bodies, millions and millions. It came, they came to that place of the chariot of Radheya. 
And there was Karna laying there with a severed head laying in the mud. And she said, It is he. And Yudhisthira looked at her in astonishment, amazement. This is Radheya. He is the bitter enemy throughout our lives. He is a Sutaputra. He has nothing to do with us. Are you going crazy? I am not going to perform last rites for him. She said, I must reveal to you now a secret that I've hidden within my heart, which has caused me pain for so many years. And she explained the whole story. How he was the eldest brother of all of them. When Yudhisthira heard this, when Arjuna heard this, Bhishma, Nakula, and Sahadev, they could not withstand the truth that had been revealed to them. They literally fell to the ground unconscious. And when they rose, they began to weep. And they asked her, did he know? She told him, yes, just before the battle, we t I told him. And then Yudhisthira could understand. This is why he could have killed all of us. But because he loved us, he let us go. But all this while we hated him and wanted him massacred and destroyed, murdered and killed. And Arjuna, he understood that Karna was hardly fighting because he knew. But because of this secret kept, he killed his own brother. The Pandavas were weeping, crying, that all of the deaths on this battlefield we cannot even think of anymore. Even the death of Abhimanu has been eclipsed by the grief that we have done this injustice to our own brother. You just dear cursed Kunti. that you have kept this secret for so long and has called us such pain because that I curse women as a class that they'll never be able to keep a secret again. Of course, if one becomes a devotee, they become transcendental to being women. That is on the bodily concept, men, women. So in this way, Maharaj Yudhisthira, with great love, performed the last rites for his eldest brother, Karna. And Krishna revealed, within this great epic of Mahabharat, just one out of thousands and thousands of beautiful stories, which utterly capture the attention of one who hears.
Not only do they utter, utterly capture the attention and attract our minds, these beautiful narrations, but they all have very, very high and great lessons to be learned on every level. Lessons of morality, of honor, of philosophy, and especially, gradually, all of the stories of the scriptures aim toward the one supreme goal of utter surrender to the will of Krishna. You see, the Mahabharata is the greatest story of romance, of tragedy, of comedy, of horror, of adventure. Everything that people are looking for, for entertainment, is in the most unparalleled manifestation within this great classic. But the conclusion of Mahabharata is contained within those 18 chapters called the Bhagavad Gita. You see, Mahabharata deals much with Artakama Dhamma Moksha. Religiosity, economic development, uh, sense gratification and liberation. In fact, Mahabharata was especially written for people in Kali Yuga who are less intelligent. because these stories will capture their, con their, their, their curiosity. They will entertain their minds and yet gradually they will teach them the supreme truth of life. And what is the supreme truth which is the essence and the culmination of Mahabharata? All of these beautiful and wonderful narrations that people since time immemorial have come together every evening to hear. They all culminate, Krishna explains, Vedaishta Sarveraham Eva Vedyo Vedanta Kridveda Vedeva Shaham. That I am the compiler of the Vedas and by all the Vedas I am to be known. Sarva Dharman Purityajya Mam Ekam Sharanam Braja Aham Tvam Sarva Papebhyo Moksha Yishamimasa Krishna says, abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender to me. All of these beautiful stories and narrations are gradually meant to just carry our minds, carry our hearts to the lotus feet of Krishna. That is the only purpose. And if we hear the scripture from a bona fide source, from a genuine spiritual master and disciplic succession, then none of these beautiful stories will simply end as a beautiful story, but they will all end at the feet of Krishna. 
Therefore, to understand these scriptures in truth, you must hear them from a guru, from one who has understood the essence, the meaning, and the purpose. How the culmination of surrender to Krishna is made possible. In this age of Kali Yuga, it is very simple. Simply by hearing his glories and chanting his names. Shukadev Goswami explains that the fearless and infallible path of God-realization is to hear about, to chant about, and to remember the beautiful lotus-eyed personality of Godhead. To always think of Krishna. These beautiful stories help us to always think of Krishna. Human civilization means to always think of Krishna. To come together in a peaceful and pious atmosphere with one purpose, to share one another's hearts with the goal of always thinking of Krishna. And it is simple. Krishna is non different than his name. We surrender to Krishna by chanting his name. It is simple, but it is the most powerful. It is the greatest of all the instructions of the Shastras. Hadanama, Hadanama, Hadaname, Vakevalam, Kalo, Nasteva, 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 Gatiranjata. When we hear these beautiful stories, when we are convinced by the deep, profound philosophy of the Shastra, the conclusion is to simply take shelter of God's name. Because all of His glories, all of His powers, all of his opulence is within his name. He is easily known by the simple process of chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare. When Srila Prabhupada was in Chicago, I remember a lieutenant of the Chicago police force met with Srila Prabhupada and said, my God, the city of Chicago is so much plagued with crime everywhere and it's getting worse and worse. Juvenile delinquency and murder and drug addiction and alcoholism and, 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 and mafia-like activities, they're just ever-increasing. We don't know what to do. But Swamiji, we have heard that you have a formula that can bring peace to society. And Srila Prabhupada said, yes, of course. It is simple. Every day, at people go to work, you make a law. At noon every day, our devotees will supply prasad for the whole city. 
Nice prasad. Spiritual vegetarian food. Let everyone in their different factories, in their different companies, in their different stores, wherever, let them come together in various groups and have kirtan of the holy name for one hour where they chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Then let them hear little philosophy and take prasad. And I guarantee if you let us do this for your city of Chicago, there will be no more crime. If you're not willing to do this, then you're deep beating a dead horse. There's no way to stop it. Are you willing to do it? Senator Moses said, well, personally, I have no objection, but I do not think my superiors will agree. <laughs> and Srila Prabhupada said, then what can be done? There's no other solution. The only solution in this age of Kali is to purify our hearts from sinful inclinations, which takes place by chanting God's name, by becoming godly, purified. So, of course, for any of you who read the papers, Chicago has increased in its crime, as has every city in, in the world, practically. Because the leaders of society do not have this faith. But we can all be leaders in our own circles of society. The father, the mother, is the leader of their own little family. We could at least institute this principle in our own lives. Huh? This is truly the glory and the greatness that India has to contribute to the world. The spiritual heritage and culture of people coming together with sincere and submissive hearts to hear and chant the glories of the Lord on a regular basis and truly nourishing their desire to love God and to serve Him. Thank you very much.